Hello, everyone. Welcome to Analyzing Presidential Speeches. And this is your host, Charlie Garrett here. And today we're going to be going over a fun one. Uh, JFK's inaugural address on January 20th, 1961. Regarded as one of the most famous American speeches of all time. So without further ado, I'm going to read it for you today. So it starts out as, We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom, symbolizing an end as well as a beginning, signifying renewal as well as change. For I have sworn before you an almighty God, the same solemn oath our forebears prescribed nearly a century and three quarters ago. The world is very different now, for man holds in his moral hands the power to abolish all forms of human poverty and all forms of human life. And yet the same revolutionary beliefs for which our forebears fought are still at issue around the globe. The belief that the rights of man come not from the generosity of the state, but from the hand of God. We dare not forget today that we are the heirs of that first revolution. Let the word go forth from this time and place, to friend and foe alike, that the torch has been passed to a new generation of Americans, born in this century, tempered by war, disciplined by a hard and bitter peace, proud of our ancient heritage, and unwilling to witness or permit the slow undoing of those human rights to which this nation has always been committed, and to which we are committed today at home and around the world. Let every nation know, whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe, to assure the survival of, of, of to assure the survival and success of the of the liberty. <clears throat> to those old allies whose cultural and spiritual origins we share, we pledge the loyalty of faithful friends. United, there is little we cannot do in, in a host of cooperative ventures. Divided, there is little we can do, for we dare not meet a powerful challenge at odds and split asunder. To those new states whom we welcome to the ranks of the free, we pledge our word that one form of colonial control shall not have passed away merely be replaced by far more iron tyranny. We shall not always expect to find them supporting our view. We shall always hope to find them supporting, strongly supporting their own freedom. And remember that in the past, those who foolishly sought power by riding the back of the tiger ended up inside. To those people in the huts and villages of half the globe struggling to break the bonds of mass misery, we pledge our best efforts to help to, to help them help themselves for whatever period is required, not because the communists may be doing it, not because we seek their votes, but because it is right. If a free society cannot help the many who are poor, it cannot save the few who are rich. To our sister republic south of our border, we offer a special pledge to convert our good works into good deeds in a new alliance for progress, to assist free men and free governments in the casting off the chains of poverty. For this peaceful revolution of hope cannot become the prey of hostile powers, let all our neighbors know that we shall join them to oppose aggression or subversion anywhere in the Americas, and let every other power know that this hemisphere intends to remain the master of its own house. To that world assembly of sovereign states, the United Nations, our last best hope in an age where the instruments of war have far outpaced the instruments of peace, we renew our pledge of support. To prevent it from becoming merely a form for in ineffective, to outpace the to, to strengthen its shield of the new and the weak, and to enlarge the area in which its writ may run. Finally, to those nations who would make themselves our adversary, we offer not a pledge but a request that both sides begin anew the quest for peace before the dark powers of destruction unleashed by science engulf all humanity in planned or accidental self-destruction. We dare not tempt with them with weakness, for only when our arms are sufficient beyond doubt can we be certain beyond doubt that they will never be employed. But neither can two great and powerful groups of nations take comfort from our present course. Both sides overburdened by the cost of modern weapons, both widely alarmed by the steady spread of the deadly atom, yet both racing to alter that uncertain balance of terror that stays the hand of mankind's final war. So let us begin anew, remembering on both sides that civility 
is not a sign of weakness, and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let us never negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. Let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. Let both sides, for the first time, formulate serious and precise proposals for the inspection and control of arms, and bring the absolute power to destroy the other nations under the absolute control of all nations. Let both sides seek to invoke the wonders of science instead of its terrors. Together, let us explore the stars, conquer the deserts, eradicate disease, tap the ocean depths, and encourage the arts and commerce. Let both sides unite to heed in all corners of the earth the command of Isaiah to undo the heavy burdens and let the oppressed go free. And if a, be- and if a beachhead of cooperation may push back the jungle of suspicion, let both sides join in creating a new endeavor, not a new balance of power, but a new world of law, where the strong are just and the weak secure and the peace preserved. All this will not be finished in the first 100 days, nor will be finished in the first 1,000 days, nor in the life of this administration, nor even perhaps in our lifetime on this planet. But let us begin. In your hands, my fellow citizens, more than mine, will rest the final success or failure of our course. Since this country was founded, each generation of Americans has been summoned to give testimony to its national loyalty. The graves of young Americans who answer the call to service around the globe. Now the trumpet summons us again, not as a call to bear arms, though arms we need, not as a call to battle, though embattled we are, but a call to bear the burden of a long twilight struggle, year in and year out, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, a struggle against the common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, disease, and war itself. Can we forge against these enemies a grand global alliance, north and south, east and west, that can assure a more fruitful life for all? Will you join in that historic effort? In the long history of the world, only a few generations have been granted the role of defending freedom in its hour of maximum danger. I do not shrink from this responsibility. I welcome it. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it, and the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, what together we can do for the freedom of man. Finally, whether you are citizens of America or citizens of the world, ask of us here the same high standards of strength and sacrifice which we ask of you. With a good conscience, our only sure reward, with history the final judge of our deeds, let us go forth to lead the land we love, asking his blessing and his help, but knowing that here on earth God's work must truly be our own. That was a long speech, but that was JFK's inaugural address. But before we go and analyze it, we got to stop for a quick commercial break. Does your car look a little sad on the inside? Is is it looking a little dirty? Does it need a good shining up? Over at CG Detailing, they can help you with that. With over 45 years of expertise, CG Detailing will have your car looking brand new again. That is CG Detailing. I'm going to say it one more time so everyone can remember. That is CG Detailing. Car detailing at an affordable cost. And we are back after that short little commercial break. And we're going to go and break this speech down one by one, piece by piece, using some rhetorical devices. So the first thing that jumped out at me was the parallel structure of this sentence in the first little section of the speech. He says, let every nation know whether it wishes us well or ill, that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. So you see how he uses bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend. It's like the same thing. It's like conveying the same message. And that really jumped out at me. And I feel like that was a good thing to put in the speech. And then next up, I have a juxtaposition um, 
this in the second section of the speech. He says, let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. Let both sides, for the first time, formulate serious and precise proposals for the inspection and control of arms. What he's trying to say here is he's trying to emphasize the both sides part. That's why he starts the two lines with both sides. He's trying to emphasize the both sides because he wants the, t the U.S. and the Soviet Union to work together. He's trying to say both sides. So I, I like using the juxtaposition here. I feel like that was really good in getting his message across. Um, the next one I want to say he used a metaphor, just a little small, but I feel like it was still pretty significant. He used a metaphor. Um, he says, and if a beachhead of cooperation may push back the jungle of suspicion. Those are two little metaphors there. The beachhead of cooperation and the jungle of suspicion. Jungle of suspicion, maybe he's saying like, it's, it's rough out there. It's, it's like a jungle. Everyone's lying to each other. Everyone's suspicious of each other. It's, like, it's the Cold War, you know, the Cold War. Everyone's just super suspicious of what everyone else is doing. So I feel like that was a good thing to use in there. I don't know. I felt like it was good. And the big rhetorical device that I feel like he used really well was the rhetorical question. When towards the end of the speech, he says, will you join in that historic effort? And, and uniting everyone. He's in the sense before he says, can we forge against these enemies, a grand and global alliance, north, south, east, and west, that can assure a more fruitful life for all mankind. And then he says, will you join in that historic effort? He's trying to say, the rhetorical question, he's saying, are you going to join? Like, he's trying to put everyone on the spot, kind of, and, like, think, make everyone think to themselves, man, should I, should, I be, should I be part of this movement? And I think that's what he's trying to inspire, not just America, but the whole world. And then um, a rhetorical appear, a appeal that I saw he used very well was pathos. In the second line, he says, to those people in the huts and villages of half the globe struggling to break the bonds of mass misery, we pledge our best efforts to help them help themselves for whatever period is required, not because the communists may be doing it, not because we seek their votes, but because it is right. Okay, he's, he's trying to convey the message that America is the helping hand. He's trying to appeal to everyone's emotions and say, oh, these people are in, they're in huts. He's appealing, tugging that emotional side of you. And he's saying, don't worry, we're going to help them. And he's trying to convey that America is, we're the friendly guys. We're not like the Soviet Union who kind of just bosses around and takes over governments and tries to set up communist regimes everywhere. No, he's trying to say that we are the helpful guys. We're the ones who are going to help half the globe struggling because uh, they're all poor, because they're poor, not because they're communists. We're not doing it for any political gain. We're just doing it because it's right, because it's morally right. And I like that, how you use that emotion, the pathos in there to really tug at your heartstrings there. Um Let's see. The last thing is the rhetorical, uh, the, 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 the triangle. Um, two things that jumped out at me is the context of the speech. He, he's getting inaugurated. It's at the height of the Cold War. He's like openly Catholic and not many people like that about him. So he's trying to unite the country because we were very not united at this time. And we're at the height of the Cold War. It's a very scary time in everyone's lives. And he's trying to say, hey, guys, everything's going to be okay. We're all, we're all, we're all going to be okay if we just stay together, stay united, and we work together with the Soviet Union in peace. Um, and then um, the purpose is uh, to inspire Americans to unite and fight for liberty in the world, to, to inspire Americans to stick together. Basically, I think it's a context. Just, we're all sticking together, and we're fighting for liberty in the world when there is so little liberty at the time because we're at the Cold War. And obviously, we didn't work together with the Soviet Union in the end, but, I mean, I think the speech... The speech was definitely a good peace offering, and I feel like this is one of the greatest inaugural addresses of all time. That's why it's one of the most popular. So thank you for listening to the podcast today. Um, thank you to Miss O'Malley for teaching us all of the rhetorical analysis 
And um, I hope everyone has a great rest of their day, weekend, and happy holidays.